0: In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's wonderful to see everybody here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. If you're visiting with us, we're especially thankful that you've uh, taken time out to be with us here this morning. We're in a study currently in the book of 1 Peter, Uh, this uh, series we've called it Still Standing, and our passage this morning is chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We've uh, made our way through chapter 1 into chapter 2. And uh, so our text is First Peter chapter two, verses one to three. Uh, this last Wednesday at uh, lunch, I took kind of a late lunch, and I uh, kind of wanted to go do a little bit of reading during lunch. So I went over here to Steve's Rib over here on I-35. Figured nobody'd be there, and they weren't. Nobody was there. It's about two in the afternoon, and I uh, finished eating there. And uh, my wife and I have been praying a lot for uh, Pastor Paul Blair. Paul's the pastor of Fairview Baptist down here, kind of around the corner. Uh, Paul uh, was diagnosed here not long ago with throat cancer. And my wife, Cheryl, and I have been praying for him every day. And so I've just been calling him along every once in a while to see how he's doing. And so I just felt prompted to give him a call. And so I called up Paul, and we had a conversation. He told me he's five weeks into his treatments. He's having to stay in Houston now because he's so weak. He can't go back and forth. Um, and Kevin chemo and, and radiation, he's lost about 30 pounds. And, you know, Paul used to play professional football. He weighed about 275 when he started. He's down to about 245 and said he'll probably lose another uh, 15 or 20 pounds. Um, he's got a, a hole in the back of his throat, a kind of a permanent hole there. And anyway, we talked about it. he, was, he was really had a good attitude and appreciates all of our prayers so much. Uh, but the thing that, that he said is the most difficult is his he, appetite. He has no appetite for food. And he said that it's, uh, this radiation he's taking is, is killing his saliva glands. And so he didn't have saliva, and it's, it's also taking away his taste buds. And he said, you know, he never knew this before, and I didn't either, but he said when you put food in your mouth and you can't taste it, you don't want to swallow it. You just want to spit it out. It's just, you have to just force it down. And he told me that um, he and his wife were down in Houston now, his wife Cindy, and they'd gone out to, to eat, and it took him 30 minutes to eat one Torchy's taco down there. We just had to just force it down. I mean, this is a guy that loves to eat. I've eaten with him before. I mean, he loves to eat. But one of the key factors of his health, they keep telling him is, uh, and his recovery, is hunger. He's got to have an appetite. He's got to keep eating. In fact, everywhere he goes there down at Mayo, down at uh, MD Anderson, down in Houston, he said, there's signs, and everyone keeps telling you, eating is medicine. You've got to keep up your appetite. Uh, You've got to uh, keep eating. And uh, that hit home with me, that conversation with him, because I just finished eating a a wonderful meal there. So when we hung up the phone, I told him we would uh, continue to pray for him. And I did three things then. First of all, I prayed for him right then again for him and his wife. Secondly, I thanked God for taste buds. (laughs) You know, you think about something that simple, but to thank God for taste buds, the the food that we enjoy. But the third thing I did is I thought immediately about our text for this morning. (laughs) because our passage this morning is a passage about spiritual appetite. It's about spiritual hunger. The same thing that's uh, true for uh, Pastor Blair now as he's recovering and needs an appetite and hunger is true for us spiritually, for our health and our strength. The key to our spiritual growth, to your growth and to my growth, is our taste and hunger for the Word of God. There's really nothing more important uh, than that. We have to have spiritual taste buds that crave and take in the Word of God. And that's what our text this morning is all about. It's about spiritual hunger and spiritual growth. Let me uh, read these verses for us. I've, I've titled this morning's message, The Hunger Game. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So reads uh, God's inspired word. As we come to, to 1 Peter 2, we're still in this section of the book that's talking about the outworking of our salvation. If you've been with us, you know, I've I've said this many times, the first 12 verses of 1 Peter are all about our salvation. Peter takes us back and establishes us in the bedrock of our salvation. But then in chapter 1, verse 13, we find the word therefore, and he moves from our salvation to the practical outworking of that salvation in our daily lives. And he starts with the vertical aspect of that outworking, our relationship to God. And he says we're to hope in God, we're to be holy as God is holy, and we're to honor Him or, be, or, or reverence God. Then we saw last time in verses 22 to 25, he moves to the horizontal or the manward aspect of this outworking our salvation. And he tells us we're to sincerely love and fervently love one another from the heart. But when we get to chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we move from the Godward and the manward now to the inward aspect to the self-word aspect, and that is um, our spiritual growth. And and we begin here in chapter 2, verse 1, with the word therefore that looks back to chapter 1, verse 23, where he says, you have been born again of seed that is uh, imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. So he's told us in one twenty three that we've been born again through God's word. So spiritual birth or new birth, comes through the imperishable seed of the Word of God. So God uses His Word to bring us to life. But as we all know, birth then is followed by growth. Uh, When you're born, you begin to mature, and he moves in chapter 2, verse 1, from the birth to the growth. From our birth by the imperishable seed of God's Word to our growth by taking in the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. So God's Word is both the imperishable seed by which we're born again, and it's the pure milk by which we grow and mature as a Christian. So the same Word that brought us to life is the same Word that sustains our life as we grow. Now, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 is one long sentence in Greek, but there's one main command there, and it's the word crave or long for. or to crave or long for Uh, the spiritual milk of God's Word. So this passage is about spiritual appetite, about a hunger for the Word of God. And the thrust of this passage is very simple. We grow spiritually by craving God's Word. That's how we grow spiritually. Our spiritual growth is in direct proportion to our spiritual hunger and our appetite. Uh, Someone has said uh, that the letters in the word diet stand for, did I eat that? And uh, we all ask that sometimes, right? Uh, more and more people today are fixated on their, their diet, I think, their, their physical intake. But, but not a lot of us spend as much time probably thinking about our spiritual diet. I mean, there's all kinds of diets out there today. There's the keto diet and the vegan diet and the Mediterranean diet and the South Beach diet, the paleo diet, and on and on and on you can go. But we want to ask ourselves this morning, how is our spiritual diet? How's our spiritual appetite? And our text this morning here is a one-sentence summary or snapshot of our spiritual diet. This passage tells us in in, a very succinct way how we can grow spiritually. And what I see in this passage is three simple steps to spiritual growth. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at verse 3 first because it's kind of in that order. Verse 3 is first, and then we'll go back to verse 1 and verse 2. And these three uh, points, really, or these three steps will form our outline. And the the three points are, we're to taste of salvation, we're to throw off sin, and we're to take in uh, the Scriptures. Now, the first key to growing spiritually, it's very obvious, is you have to taste of salvation. That's where it all uh, begins. Notice in verse 3, uh, the New American Standard I'm reading from says, "If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord," but really you should translate it since you've tasted, or some translations have now that you've tasted. It's assumed that these people he's writing to have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and so our first initial taste of God's goodness is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that He died for us and we ro- and, and rose again, and. Uh, Everything else in our spiritual life hinges on our acceptance of that. And Jesus' sacrifice for us was an unspeakable act of grace and mercy and goodness and kindness. And so when we receive Christ, we get our first taste, if you will, of the goodness of God, that that initial taste. And when you taste his goodness in Jesus Christ, we find out that he tastes better than anything else. That God's kindness tastes better than sin. And our our first taste of God's goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ brings our spiritual taste buds to life, if you will. Then we begin to desire and to crave to know more and more of Jesus Christ and our great God. There's no appetite without first having a taste. And this uh, this verse here, verse 3, is an allusion back to Psalm 34, verse 8 which says, "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So I just ask all of us here this morning, a simple question. Have you gotten your first taste of the goodness of God through believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and the good news? If not, what you need to do this morning is flee to him for refuge from your sins. And you can take your first taste right now of the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. And he says here in uh, Psalm 34, verse 8, when you do that, you will be blessed. So the first taste that we take of God's goodness in the gospel is life-giving. It gives life. But it's also life-changing. It changes our life. It it sets us on an entirely new course in life, a, a brand new trajectory for our lives. So when you and I hear the gospel about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the first time, and we believe it, we take our first taste of the goodness of God, and our spiritual taste buds are awakened, and then we want more and more. So we get a taste of God's goodness when we come to Christ, and tasting precedes craving. We kind of, when we believe in Christ, we get that sample or that initial taste that leaves us craving more. That's why when you go in an ice cream place, they give you a taste, right? It's never big enough, but they give you a little taste of it because they want you to crave more. Or you go to Sam's and there's somebody on every aisle offering you something uh, to eat there, right? Because they know that tasting precedes craving. And that first taste whets our appetite. So, spiritual growth begins very simply with a taste of salvation, our first taste of God's goodness. Now, Peter's going to go on here and warn us in verse 1 that if we're not careful, we can allow sin to creep into our lives that will stifle and suppress our spiritual appetite for the milk of God's Word. We can find ourselves, if you want to think of it this way, Feeding on spiritual junk food rather than the the spiritual milk of God's Word. So the second step in our spiritual growth is some sins that we need to throw off. And he lists in verse 1 five sins or five kinds of spiritual junk food, if you will, that will suppress your spiritual appetite and that will stunt your growth. Uh, These are are five sins. You could call them the filthy five if you want, or whatever. I mean, these are bad sins we need to get rid of. Uh, One man I read this week says, If you want to grow, these things have to go. And that's the point here in this passage. As long as these things are in your life, they're going to suppress your appetite. Now, notice these sins here malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These are sins in the church. It's not murder and robbery and things like that. These are relational sins in the church that harm relationships and destroy a community in the church. And he tells us here, put these things aside, get rid of them so that you can grow in respect to your salvation. So we have to get rid of these things to grow spiritually as God wants us to grow. Now let me look at these five real quickly. The first one is malice. Put aside all malice. Notice all of it. This leaves no room for excuses or exceptions. Malice is ill will towards other people. It's bad blood, if you will. It's the nursing of grudges against someone that you think has done you wrong. It's harboring evil. It's being spiteful and having mean-spirited thoughts about another person and wishing them harm. There's a story I read years ago about a a man who was uh, really sick. He goes to the doctor. He gets in the hospital, and the doctor comes in and says, man, he goes, I got some really bad news for you. You've got a terrible case of rabies, and it's gone so far. There's nothing we can do for you. Uh, You're going to die, so you better get your affairs in order. Well, the guy's shocked, and so the doctor decides to leave for a little bit to let the guy kind of process all of this. So he comes back in a little bit later and sees the guy with a pad of paper out just writing furiously. And he assumes the guy's writing out his will. So he comes in and says, well, I'm glad to see you've accepted this well. He says, I can see you're writing out their will, writing out your will. The guy says, man, this isn't a will. This is a list of all the people I want to bite before I die. (laughs) Now, a lot of people have a list like that, don't they? And that's malice. I mean, the people you'd like to bite before you die and get back at them for something Uh, that they've done to you. And the Bible says to let it go. You and I have tasted the goodness of God in in the person of Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. So we need to be kind and forgiving to one another and and let the malice go. Then he says all deceit. Uh, Deceit means to to catch with bait. Peter was an old fisherman and it means to, to, to bait a hook. When people go fishing, they're deceiving fish, right? They're making them think it's one thing when it's really another. And he says, Get rid of all of it. Don't leave any of it behind. It means to get the better of someone by dishonesty or to use trickery and deceit for personal gain. So you and I are to be known as people who are honest and who are forthright and we're to throw off deceit. Uh, The third one here is hypocrisy. Now, actually, in the Greek, it's in the plural get rid of hypocrisies. Uh, that is, uh, get rid of, of pretense in your life. This word was used back in that day of actors who wore uh, different masks and played different parts. So it means to act a part, or uh, to appear or to pretend to be something that you're not. So it's to wear a mask. And he's saying as believers, we're not to do that. We're to, we're to be what we appear to be. There's a story I read about a a man who was out of work and he saw there was some job openings at the zoo. So he went down to the zoo and applied and they said, well, we've got one job left. Um, Our gorilla died yesterday and we need someone to kind of fill in and wear a gorilla suit until we get another gorilla because the kids love the gorillas when they come to the zoo. So he agrees to do it, and he's in there the first day, and he was kind of eating peanuts and kind of lying around, and finally he gets kind of bored, and some kids are there, so he starts swinging on a tree, and he, he falls over into the pit over where the lions are. And then uh, I mean, he falls in there, and he starts immediately calling out and yelling out, help, help. And the, the lion comes up to him and says, he says, shut up or you're going to get both of us fired. <laughs> well, that's wearing a mask, isn't it? It's pretending to be something you're not. But, but you and I, we want to we wanna be what we are and be who we are and not be people wearing masks. Notice the fourth one here is envy. Again, it's in the plural. Get rid of envies. This is one of the, the, the uh, destroying sins of life because envy is resenting the advantage of other people. It's being upset when other people prosper. It's being unhappy when other people are blessed or being happy when they suffer some kind of misfortune. See, with malice, we intend the harm of another person. With envy, we begrudge the good of another person. It's the inability to be thankful when good comes to other people. One good definition I read this week that helped me, a a writer said this, envy is a mingling of a desire for something with the resentment that someone else is enjoying it and you're not. It's an inability to be happy for other people when they prosper. Uh, Leslie Flynn says this, this is powerful, he says, the envious man feels others' fortunes or his misfortunes their profit, his loss, their blessing, his bane, their health, his illness, their promotion, his demotion, their success, his failure. We've all been there before. I mean, envy's a, a spiritual poison, though, in our lives. Shakespeare called it the green sickness, and it's a moral cancer that eats away at our spiritual life, but it comes in all shapes and sizes. It can be someone you know that gets a bigger house, they get a better car, they get a, a bigger boat. It can be at work when someone gets a promotion and, 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 and is enjoying great success. It can be with our children when someone else, their child, is more successful academically than our child or better in sports or more attractive or on and on we can go. But it's a resentment that other people are experiencing something and enjoying something that we want for ourselves. It's an old story about a, a Greek athlete, and he ran in the games and came in second place. And he was uh, so envious of the winner who got all kinds of praise. And in fact, the, the winner was so praised a statue was a eventually built of him, a marble statue. And the envy in this man got to such a point he decided to destroy the statue of the winner. So every night he would go out with a chisel and chisel the base of, of this statue to weaken the foundation. But one night he, he chiseled and his anger got so violent and he went too far and the statue teetered on its foundation and fell off and crushed him. And he died beneath the weight of a, mar- of a marble replica of the man he'd grown to hate. And that's the tragedy of envy. Envy's a, a boomerang sin. It's like that. It, it, it comes back actually on us and will destroy us. And then finally he mentions slander Again, it's in the plural, slanders. The word slander means to, to speak down, to speak down about another person or to, or to run someone down or disparage them. It's speech that, that uh, harms and belittles another person. Now, Now, one thing I want you to notice here about these five sins is all of these sins involve personal relationships. They hurt other people, but they also hinder us in our growth. That's the point here. He says... Put all of these things away in order that you might long for the pure milk of the word. So what he's saying here is these five sins especially are spiritual appetite suppressants. They kill our appetite for the word of God and they stunt our growth. So it's like we said earlier, if you want to grow, these things have to go. We have to get rid of this spiritual junk food to really crave the word of God. I was reading a sermon this week by Ray Pritchard, and uh, this, is, this is strong, but it, it's something we need to hear in our lives. He says this, these relational sins, talking about the ones here in 1 Peter 2.1, are like spiritual junk food of the soul. They choke off our craving for the word so that instead of growing, we just stay as we are. You can treat people unkindly and gossip about them and harbor bitterness. You can have a sharp tongue and a critical spirit. You can look down your nose at people who aren't like you. As long as you do that, you'll never grow spiritually, not even if you come to church four times a week and go to Bible study every other day. Those relational sins will choke off the Word of God in your life. That explains why some people can come to church for years and they never get better. They're harboring, listen to his language here, they're harboring a relational garbage pit on the inside. They make excuses for their envy, they ignore their gossip, they make light of their cutting comments, and they justify their meanness toward others. And they don't grow because they can't grow. When your horizontal is messed up, your vertical will never be right. God has wired us so that the horizontal and the vertical go together. And I've seen that often in people that come and they come to church for years and years and they don't grow. And you'll even hear people say, well, you know, I never get anything out of the sermon. or I never get anything out of the Bible study I go to. And part of the reason for that can be the word of God is being choked off in our lives uh, by these spiritual appetite suppressants we see here in verse 1. So the first thing you and I need to grow spiritually is that initial taste of God's goodness in the gospel. The second thing we need to do is throw off these sins listed here in verse one. But the third thing is we need to take in the word of God. It's not enough to just get rid of the negative. We have to take in uh, the positive. Now think about this for a moment. There's a vicious cycle. If the sins in verse one are in your life, then they're going to suppress your appetite for God's word. And as you don't have an appetite for God's word, those sins are going to take a stronger hold in your life, which then is going to make you not have an appetite for God's word. So it's a vicious cycle. But you can see the inverse is also true. If you put these sins away and you have an appetite for the Word of God and you begin to grow, those kinds of sins are going to lessen their grip on your life, which means you're going to have an increased appetite for God's Word, which will loosen the grip of those things on your life. And again, you get into that cycle. And so it's really the the old saying that sin will keep you from the Word of God or the Word of God will keep you from sin. It's really just the truth of that old saying. So when we put away the sin and the spiritual junk food, we're going to long for the Word of God. And that's that key word, like newborn babes long for, or literally you could translate it to crave the Word of God. There's an old French proverb that says, a good meal ought to begin with hunger. And that's true. It's hard to enjoy a meal when you're not hungry, no matter how good it is. But if you're really, really hungry... Um, Even if it's not that good, it's going to taste good to you and going to be satisfying. And we're, we're to approach the Bible with a hunger to be satisfied. And when we do that, you and I will find that we're satisfied every time. Now, Peter compares our craving for the Word of God with a baby's desire for milk. Now, for a little baby or an infant, milk is not a fringe benefit, right? It's his life. It's her obsession, Uh, Newborn babies crave milk instinctively and eagerly and incessantly, and that is how you and I are to crave uh, the Word of God. Uh, When our son uh, Justin was born, he was born prematurely, and he had a a cleft lip and and palate, so he wasn't able to breastfeed, and so Cheryl wanted to provide breast milk for him, so she'd use a a pump and and get the, the breast milk that we could feed him with a bottle And I remember the first time she left, and I was given really important instructions. You don't heat up the milk in the microwave because it can create hot spots in the milk and it's not good. Now, to me, I just thought, well, just shake it and get rid of the hot spot and whatever would be fine. But I didn't do that because I was told not to. So I followed the directions. You had to get out a, a pan and heat the water and set the bottle down it. So it took a long time. Well, this is the first time i had done this, and I'll tell you, I got caught short the first couple times. Man, he started getting hungry, and I wasn't ahead of the curve here enough. And, man, I was a desperate man, I mean, because they start crying. I mean, it's, it's all out, and you're in there trying to get the water and heat this up and get it the right temperature. And I started anticipating from then on when this was going to happen. But it reminded me of something I read years ago. A man said, when a baby's crying for, for food, put something where the noise is coming from. And that's kind of what you want to do, man. You want to get something. It's uh, You all have heard that word, someone is hangry. It means you're so hungry, you're angry. I mean, that's the way kids are, little babies, uh, when they want their food. Now, there's only one thing in our lives today I can compare that to with me and Cheryl, and that is her craving for coffee in the morning. Um, I don't drink coffee, but she does. And I mean, this is a serious deal. When we go on... uh, (laughs) When we go and travel, my main job is to make sure that that's taken care of. If i got to go downstairs, walk across the street to Starbucks, it's in the room, whatever it is, I figured out that that's a very important thing to take care of. So um, many of you, I'm sure, like that as well. But, but he's saying that's how we're to hunger and to thirst for the Word of God. When you think about it, though, hunger for the Word of God is really hunger for God Himself. It's really what we're hungering for. We're not hungering for the Bible, but we're hungering for the one that is revealed to us in the Bible, who is God himself. And he calls this milk that we long for the pure milk of the word. Pure means free from additives. It's uncontaminated. We'd call it today organic milk, right? But what he's saying here is don't add things to it. And I think he's saying don't add things to it to make yourself feel more comfortable. Sometimes we can add to the Word of God to kind of make it more palatable to us. Let's just let it say what it says. Take in the pure milk of God into our lives. This pure spiritual milk. Now, sometimes in the New Testament, milk is used as kind of food for spiritual babies, and then there's the meat of God's Word that's kind of the deeper truth. So you have the the milk and the meat of God's Word. That's not a distinction uh, Peter's making here. Milk here is just a a metaphor for the Word of God, because Peter's speaking not just to new believers, but to all believers. So the milk here is just this metaphorical, spiritual milk of the Word of God. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and you might be honestly saying in your mind, you know, I don't really crave the Bible like that, so what could I do to stimulate my appetite for the Word of God? Let me mention three things quickly. One is what you're doing right now. That is, attend regularly to the preaching of the Word of God. Attend it regularly, thoughtfully, and prayerfully. Think about it before you come. Maybe read the passage each week before you're here. Now, you're doing that right now, and you need to keep that up because as we go through the Bible, you'll say, well, you know, that was interesting what was brought up here. I want to go study that more. It increases an appetite to know the Bible. A second thing is have a personal daily devotional time when you feast on the Word of God. Sometime in your life, every day, when you read the Bible. I know I've mentioned this many, many times here, but before I go to bed at night, I like to read a psalm. I'm studying a lot of different parts of the Bible all the time, but I love to read a psalm. And about a week ago, I read a psalm in the evening, and every verse of that psalm spoke exactly to where I was in my life. I was blown away by it. I mean, God was speaking directly to me through that psalm to the situation that I was in. And you know, one of the things that did for me is it increased my appetite. The next night, I'm thinking, man, I want to I go read the, the next psalm and, and see what God has to say to me tonight. So just have a regular time when you take in the Bible. And a third thing you can do is read and study the Bible with other people. Uh, get involved in a Bible study or a small group. Um, husbands and wives uh, talk about the Bible together. Uh, parents and children together. As we, as we get together and talk about the Bible, it spurs us on in our appetite and hunger for it. And as you do those things, the Bible says here, do this so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The Word of God will grow us up. It'll cause us to grow spiritually. It's been well said that the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. And that's true for all of us spiritually in our lives. We, we never arrive spiritually in this life. There's always more room for improvement. The word grow up here, that you might grow up in respect to salvation, is a passive verb. So it means, I don't grow myself, God does it. Just like I don't make myself grow physically. Now, I take in nourishment and exercise and do those things to, to, uh, to help that, to aid in the process, but I don't cause the physical growth. And I don't cause the spiritual growth. God is the one that causes us to grow. Our responsibility is to take in the nourishment we need, but God causes the growth. It's like... Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. And of course, just like with our, our physical growth and maturity is a lifelong process, the same is true uh, with us spiritually. It's a lifelong process of spiritual growth and transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I like uh, the story about Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. One day they were driving along and uh, they were in a, a section of the road that was being worked on. And when they got to the end of this road work, there was, a, there was a sign that said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. And she told Billy Graham that's what she wanted on her, on her gravestone. And she told her son Franklin that. And uh, when she passed away in June of 2007, those are the words put on Ruth Graham's uh, gravestone. End of construction thank you for your patience. (laughs) I like that because we're all under construction, aren't we? God's working in our lives, transforming us. And God grows us, but again, we have to take in the nourishment for that growth to occur. And there's no spiritual growth without the nourishment of God's Word. You simply cannot grow without it. And your spiritual growth and maturity And my spiritual growth and maturity is in direct proportion to the amount and the time we spend in God's Word. And that's why we're so committed to the Bible here at Faith Bible Church. That's why we teach the Bible here on Sunday mornings. That's why it's the curriculum for your children in the nursery, in Awana, in our ABFs. We want to have you come every week and be exposed to the Word of God and and to increase your appetite so that through the week you'll go and continue your study of Scripture in your own life and grow spiritually. So let me ask you this morning, how's your spiritual appetite? If you're to be honest this morning, on a scale of one to ten, where's your spiritual appetite and hunger? Do you read the Bible? Is there a craving in your life to, to get into the Scriptures to know God better? Maybe a good question to ask, too, is are these sins in verse 1 in your life far too often? Maybe they're choking off and suppressing your desire and your appetite for God's Word. Are you growing spiritually? Maybe you're in a spiritual dry spell. Maybe you're going backwards. I think it was, uh, you know, Adrian Rogers, the old preacher, says the spiritual life is like a bicycle. You're either going forward or you're falling off. Right? I mean, you're either moving forward or you're going backwards. You're going to fall off. Are you here Sunday mornings regularly here in church to hear the Word of God? Again, are you in adult Bible fellowship? Are you in a Bible study? Do you have a quiet time, a time every day when you read the Word of God and allow God to grow you? Are you reading the Bible with your children? Are you creating in your children and your grandchildren an appetite for the Word of God? Look, what we have in these three verses here this morning, three simple verses, is a one-sentence summary of the spiritual life, really. It's how to grow and mature spiritually. And we have four core values here at Faith Bible Church, and the first two are really found in these verses. Our first core value here at this church is we want people to believe the gospel, and the second one is to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. And We have both of these here, that initial taste is believing in Christ and coming to know Him. And then after that, uh, we're to grow in in our relationship with Him. So three simple steps here to grow spiritually. First, there's a taste by which this growth begins, and that happens when we come to Christ. Then there's junk food by which our appetite is suppressed and our, our growth is stunted. And then there's solid nourishment in the Word of God by which our growth is accelerated. So if you've never taken that first taste this morning, that's what you need to do. You need to take that first taste of God's goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've come to the Lord and you're saying, man, I'm really not growing spiritually. I don't have much appetite. Throw out the junk food. Get rid of these sins in verse 1 from your life. Get rid of them and throw them out. And begin to take in the word of God as a regular part of your diet, your spiritual diet. Look, there's nothing more important in your life and my life than our spiritual growth. The best thing you can do for your wife or your husband is to be growing spiritually. The best thing you can do for your kids is to be growing spiritually. The best thing you can do for the other people in this church is to be growing spiritually. And the best thing you can be doing for the Lord is to be growing spiritually more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. May God help us as a church to be people who are growing. We've gotten that first taste. And let's encourage one another to, to put off these, these sins in verse 1. Let's be encouraging and stirring up one another to be in the Word of God regularly and, and getting into groups and talking about the Scripture so we can grow up to be like Jesus Christ as we await His coming. Well, let's pray together. If you're here this morning and you need to take your first taste of, of, of the goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I urge you to do that right where you sit this morning. Take Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast him out. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can trust him and taste of him for the very first time this morning. And Father, for those of us who know you, I pray that you'll make us hungry, not just for the Word, but hungry for you, the one who's revealed in the Scriptures to us that you'll satisfy us with good things. Oh, Father, we we desire to grow, all of us do, and it's the best thing we can be doing for everyone around us. So, Father, my prayer, earnest prayer for myself, for all my brothers and sisters here this morning, is may we be found growing when our Lord Jesus comes again. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction as uh, we are dismissed. Uh, Thank you again for being with us. And if you're visiting, we're especially glad you're here. Thank you so much. If you go out these doors on the left side of the lobby, uh, there's a welcome center there where you can get some more information uh, about our church. Well, let's uh, bow our heads now for the benediction as we are dismissed. Our benediction comes from uh, the last verse of 2 Peter. Peter closes out his inspired writing with these words. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, Amen. It is hot. I saw people fanning out there, kind of. So, yeah, I didn't ever hear anything running. So It gets hotter up there, too, but I saw people
1: And if I told you my story, you would hear freedom that was one for me. And if I told you soul praising my Savior. Please,